Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. And to that prayer this morning, I add my amen. This weekend, we are celebrating the birth of our nation, the independence that our nation celebrates, and we're celebrating the freedoms that we enjoy. And also, we are just praying for our country. So thank you for joining us here at Calvary Baptist for our online worship service. I do hope you have a wonderful holiday weekend, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to teach us in these next few minutes together. So thank you again for being with us. We're beginning to wrap up our series called New Normal. And we've been talking about for the last several weeks the idea that, that a new normal has been talked about and obviously is on the, other, uh, it's on the horizon for us. But by looking at a definition, what we're looking at new normal is how things look after the status quo is changed and that things are just different. It's not necessarily what, right or wrong. It's a matter of how it's going to be different. In a biblical understanding, what we're talking about this new normal is what life's going to look like as God changes us, on the other side of the change that God makes in us. We've been using for our scripture Isaiah 43, verse 19, where uh, Isaiah writes, I, that's God, am doing a new thing. And then he asks the question, do you not perceive it? And that becomes a question what we want to continue to address today. But let, let's back up and talk a little bit about last Sunday. If you were here on our service last Sunday, you remember we were talking about a guy named Moses. Now, now, Moses had to experience a, a new normal in a very real sense, becoming the, the famous leader of Israel that most of us know him for. But he had kind of a rough start, and that's what we talked about last week. We, we know that God was fully aware of the fact that his people, uh, Israel, they were being severely abused as, as slaves in Egypt. And we saw how that God, in his love and his concern for them, he put the wheels of deliverance into motion for his people. And one of the first things he did was he personally selects Moses to lead them. Uh, Just a reminder, Exodus 3, verse 10, uh, God says, So now, and he's speaking to Moses, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, what we learned was Moses wasn't Uh, terribly thrilled with this idea. He came up with several excuses of why this new new normal wasn't what he had desired, but God chose him anyway. And so we move on past that particular scenario and Moses heads back to Egypt and God's plan begins moving. And for the next 10 chapters of, of Exodus up to chapter number 13, you could say it's nothing short of incredible what God does in those, those verses. So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 13 of Exodus, verse number 17, and we hear this amazing statement, when Pharaoh let the people go. Now, uh, what that's a, in itself requires some, some background, just that statement, because what we know is Moses goes back and he shares his plan with Pharaoh about letting the people go. And Pharaoh, remember, was, uh, was probably the most powerful human being on the planet at that time. And Pharaoh, he's not at all happy with this idea. That new normal is not something he is, he's designed to accept. And so he adamantly refuses to let them go. So as a way of softening Pharaoh's heart and the Egyptians, as well as showing them how powerful he was, God sends a series of plagues. And you've probably heard of the 10 plagues of Egypt. And each one gets progressively worse leading up to the very last one, which was on one particular night, the firstborn of all the Egyptians, every firstborn male of the Egyptians died in one particular evening. 
Well, that definitely uh, was a dramatic event. And so as we pick up in verse 17 again, where it says, Pharaoh let the people go, we, we see Israel, they're celebrating. This is a great day. They're celebrating their independence, much like what we're doing this weekend, right? there, we, We're free. But the Egypt, they're reeling from what has happened in the night before. And as Israel moves out into the, to the journey that God's had for him, there's, there's an interesting twist in how God relates what happens next. God, uh, Pharaoh lets the people go. Uh, God is still, though, the one that's in charge. He, he specifically is leading his people. Uh, notice what, it, what the Bible tells us, the next verse. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, although that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now, I'm sure you've heard the expression that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Well, obviously God hadn't heard that because he's taking them in a way that would logically the shortest way to get there would be, but God knew what he was doing. He had a specific, precise direction that he was giving the people. We go to verse 18, and the Bible says that, so God led the people around by the desert road, and notice this last phrase, toward the Red Sea. Now, you want to put a pin in that one because that becomes a very significant geographical um, idea for this whole idea of their, their travel. So here's how this happens. We go to chapter 14 and verse 1, and, and as Israel's moving, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back. Now, here's what we know. They've been traveling. God has been leading them, and now he actually tells them to backtrack to retrace their steps and go back part of the way that they had just come from. And they were to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. <laughs> you know, somebody in the back of the group is saying, well, somebody get Moses a map or a compass or something. I mean, he's got to be lost already. I know we've been here before and they're, they're noticing that they've, but that's exactly what Pharaoh thought as well. Because God, when he speaks to Moses and he tells him to turn back, verse number three God goes on to say, and Pharaoh will think that the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Pharaoh's going to get this impression that these, uh, the, these ignorant slaves have no idea where they're going, and they're, they're now running in circles by the shores of the Red Sea. And, and, but here's what we know. The Red Sea was a possibly a very pleasant place to be. I mean, this was a, maybe a spot that the Israelites thought we're here to rest, and God's put us here to refresh. But here's what we know from history. It also formed a perfect geographical, it's called a cul-de-sac. It's a dead-end street. To the north, there were the Egyptian fortresses. There's no way they could go that direction. To the south would have been the, the desert. And those people with all of the things they had, they would have never survived in the desert. To the west was Egypt, where they just came from. So they're not going back there. But then to the east, right in front of them, is this Red Sea. You see, militarily, this was the most vulnerable spot to be in. They were boxed in. There's no back door. There's a geographical trap. There's literally no escape. But what we know, Pharaoh has his ideas. God already had a, another plan. Verse 14, God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to pursue after them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. He said, I'm not done teaching the Egyptians about my power, so I'm going to actually use this to show them my glory. So the Israelites did what Pharaoh assumes that, that these misguided slaves, they've trapped themselves, they, they, they're right where he can get to them, and the, the trap is actually set for Pharaoh by God him, himself. 
God wanted his people to know that he was going to fight for them. You see, for 400 years, they've been in Egypt, and, and, and especially these last years, they've been just fighting for themselves, and they've been trying to do it all in their own power and, and seeing just how frustrating this is. And they, they've lost sight of who God is, and God's now going to begin teaching them again who he is so they can know him. And they, he's teaching them to wait on him and to trust on him. And so Pharaoh's going to fall right into God's trap, just as he said he would. Um, God, he's going to see the army, the, the Israelites there, and he musters his army. He takes them out to chase after these Israeli slaves. And this is where the story now takes on this dramatic turn. Israel, you got to remember, we're talking a million plus people probably with men and women and children and their livestock. And, and they've left Egypt. It was all such a big miraculous event. And Moses, he's, he's the hero. He's done just what he said he was going to do. And, he, and he, he, they know that God's leading him and God's led them to this beautiful cul-de-sac by the sea. And they're enjoying this. But suddenly they look up behind them and they see this cloud of dust. And they begin to hear the sound of the, the horse hoofs thundering in the distance. It's no, they realize that's Pharaoh. And they put two and two together, and they think, we're about to be massacred. Look what it says in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And notice, they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. Now, I, I think that's a pretty typical response. When you get in that kind of a jam where it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any hope, they cried out, oh my God, help us. But then they did the next typical thing. They, they had to find someone to blame. <laughs> Moses, who, they had, who had helped them now, they think, now verse 11, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Now, I'm not sure that was their exact quote from when they were leaving and they were so excited as they left. But now when they're in trouble, they couldn't resist saying, we told you so, Moses. We now look at this mess you've gotten us into. And with emphasis, look what they say. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. In other words, we would rather be in safety as slaves than to be free men in danger. Now, they'd cried out to God before for deliverance from Egypt, but now they're saying in fear, we're not sure this freedom is really worth it. This whole scenario reminds me of a song from back in my teenage years. Some of you may have heard of a man by the name of Keith Green, been back in the 1980s. And he wrote a song, and it was simply entitled, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. If you get a chance, it's a great song. It's got some great humor in it, but gives some very pointed truths about this scenario that we're talking about. I want to take that title in connection with the series we're, we're talking about. I want to ask the question this way. So you want to go back to, well, for the Israelites, it was Egypt. What we're talking about is you want to go back to, to normal? Really? You see, we've been talking about this new thing that God is doing in us now and God's plan for us and it's going to involve some sort of a normal and he's changing us for the better. But here's what we know, just like Moses last week, sometimes we fight that. We, we don't think that's what we want or we, we don't see how that's possible. We make excuses or maybe we're like, like Israel here. We start down the road and then we see it's difficult and we begin to panic and it's harder than we ever thought it was going to be and we want to go back the way things were. Here's something we've got to remember when it comes to this new thing God is doing us. Remember, it's out with the old and in with the new, this whole, this whole new normal. Here's a reality that we can learn from these folks and, and, and their predicament. We need to stop looking back and start moving forward. Here's what we know. Sometimes that whole idea of growth and change, it sounds kind of intriguing. 
fact, it, it's actually, it, it sounds kind of pleasant when you first think about it, because where I am, it, it's definitely not the best scenario. In fact, the things that are going on might be downright awful. It's like being slaves in Egypt. The things that are entrapped me or the situation I'm in, it's just not a good place. But here's what we begin to realize. Inevitably, that change that's going to be required is going to be different, and often it's going to be more difficult than we had ever imagined. You see, that new normal means there's been a status quo changed. And, and I may not have liked the status quo, but there was a level of comfort there. I, there was something that I was at least familiar with. There seemed to be a, a safety there. Think about Israel. When you look at their situation, they had every right to be terrified, right? I mean, at this point, because this is serious stuff, Pharaoh ain't happy. And if Pharaoh ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? I mean, Pharaoh was, was very serious about this. But don't forget, God had already promised that he would deliver them. I mean, God had already been moving. Think about those 10 plagues. We didn't have time to go through, but if you look through them at what God had been doing, and now even since they left, he's been specifically guiding them. In fact, you look back at the word, it said God led the people. He said that the Lord went ahead of the people to guide them. Day, I mean, he was specifically involved in every movement. This, this new normal was a part of God's way for them. It was God's way of teaching them to trust him, to, to follow him, to obey him no matter what. This was all got part of God's training for them. This was all something they needed to learn. But that's a hard lesson for them. And I find that's a hard lesson for me to learn as well. I mean, there, I, I say, oh, yes, I trust God until till it starts getting tough. And then suddenly I'm thinking, wow, where, what happened? Where, why is it going this direction? And, and this, here's what's interesting. This is just the first of several times Israel kind of responds with that. I want to go back to Egypt kind of an idea. I want to go back to normal. This morning, I want to take just real quickly, I want to look at three of the other instances because I think from that we can pull some really great principles, some observations. So, so let me continue. About 45 days later now, 45 days out of Egypt, um, the people begin to worry because they're looking around at this mass of people and they're wondering, how are we ever going to feed all these people? We're not, we don't have our homes and, and so forth. So Exodus chapter 16 the Bible says that in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, and listen, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. They were there, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Okay, think what they're saying. We were slaves, we were beaten, we were abused, but at least we had a meal on the, on the table. We were close to the grocery store. We could go get, here's what we know. The unknown is often very uncomfortable. But here's what's great. Remember, God's teaching them. This is, a, for the next 40 years after this point, from the next 40 years of Israel's history, God supernaturally will provide food for them every day. In this, this substance called manna, he's literally going to give them daily bread for the next 40 years. He's going to show them, you can trust me. But, but it was all part of what God's work was doing. Okay, so there's the first one. Let's, let's move forward a little bit. We're a few months later now. It's about 14 months now, a little over a year after they left Egypt. And they've been experiencing God's provision over and over. Every day, this manna has been there. They've not missed a day in all that, that God has done. And, but now they shift from being afraid of their survival to, oh, I don't think I like this anymore. We're kind of bored. We're kind of done with this. Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites start wailing. Wailing, you could literally say whining. You know, can I have some wine with that cheese, right? That's that kind of an idea. And here's what they said. If only we had meat to eat. 
Verse 5, look at this. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, and leeks, and onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They said, it's not, it's not that we're, we're hungry, it's just uh, we're bored. We just don't like this. That, that song that I re- referred to earlier, you want to go back to Egypt, has a great line in there. He talks about, oh, manna again? And then he describes manna waffles and manna burgers and manna bagels and, and filet of manna and manna patties and, of course, banana bread, right? It, we've just done everything we know to do with this manna and we're just tired. We're bored with it. But here's the thing. God's not at all amused by their ingratitude and their complaining Moses tells in verse 18, the Lord heard you when you wailed, when you whined. If only we had meat to eat, he said, when you said we are better off in Egypt. And then look at how this, descri- this griping is continually described. Verse 20, Moses says, you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? They said, look, we don't like this new normal. We wish we had stayed as slaves in Egypt. It was comfortable. It was convenient. And here's what God is saying. You rejecting my plan. You're literally rejecting me. We want to go back to the way things were. You're rejecting the work that God is doing in your life. And then I want to take one more very poignant example. It's almost two years now after they left Egypt. They've, they've seen God do some incredible things from the Red Sea on and the way he's take care of them. He's protected them. He's provided for them. Um, he's specifically led them. He's spoken to them. He's given them the law, what we know as the Ten Commandments. He's given them a way and a place to worship him and to have him in their midst. And now, they're, literally, they are just a few steps away from the promised land that God had, had said he was bringing them to. But what they discovered is this new land, this new normal that God was proposing would be awesome. But it wasn't going to be easy. There were going to be battles. There were going to be struggles. There was going to be be issues. You see, obviously, they came out of this thinking, hey, we're just going to waltz right into the promised land. And it's with, you know, without firing a shot, there's not going to be any issues. But the reality was their journey was just beginning here. God was going to still be with them. He was going to help them. He's going to fight for them. But there were also, as they said, there were giants there. There were problems there. This is going to be a, 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 a journey, a struggle. And so verse 2 of chapter 14, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said, listen to this, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing up us up to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? God doesn't care about us. Why would God do this to us? All of these things, and God has just left us here. And don't miss this. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. After two years and all that they've seen God do for them, and we just want to go back to Egypt. Did you hear what they said? They were literally going to appoint a leader to take them back into slavery. Doesn't make any sense at all. I I sometimes shake my head here at this part of the story, and I just say, man, how stubborn, how cynical, how wishy-washy these people. It's about that time that I hear God say in the back of my mind, so will you be the pot or the kettle in this story? There's a movie reference for you. Because here's what I know. I I know that I need to grow in my spiritual journey. And I know that for that to happen, there's going to be some changes that need to happen on a regular basis in my life. I know that God's not done with me yet. 
So he's doing a work in me, and I know that there's a new normal for me, and that's going to be exactly what God knows is best for me, but this is harder than I ever imagined. This isn't what I planned for or expected. And I'm sure the new news is going to be great, but I'm not sure it's worth the hassle. Have you ever been there? Fighting, struggling with this idea. I, I recently heard some, some thoughts about the normal that I needed to, to hear, and maybe you do t- too as we talk about some things we need to remember. Here's one of the things I know about the normal. What you thought was normal is really just what you know. It's, it's, I'm not talking about, you know, there's right and wrong, and we're not talking about relative morality here. We're just talking about things that I knew to be normal were really just the things that I was comfortable with, the things that, that I liked. But understand, comfortable doesn't necessarily mean normal. That's just what you know to be comfortable. It might not be comfortable, and, and the new normal can be just as exciting, but it's just what you know is often what we refer to as as normal, and we've got to learn to trust God's normal for us. Second thing is this, what the world calls normal, God calls broken. Now we take this to a whole nother level. Think about this. Because of sin, there is nothing that's actually normal as God designed it. We live in a world that's cursed by sin, and many of the things, think about this, that we accept as normal are actually debilitating. They're destructive. They're, they're destroying our lives. Just like Israel in their slavery, it's actually turn, it's tearing them apart. And so rather than change and grasp this new normal, sometimes we actually make choices that enslave us again or that keep us enslaved because it just it, it, the normal is what we're used to. And God is saying, I want to deliver you because what you're experiencing, that's not normal. That's broken. And I want to make some changes in your life. Here's the third thing I heard. And when we feel afraid, we crave the familiar, even if the familiar is destroying us. Maybe sometimes we don't recognize our need for deliverance, or we fight it because it's not what we expect. And, oh, this may be painful, but at least I can understand it, right? Or I can feel like I've got some control over it, even if I really, I really don't. But it's familiar. So I'll go there, even if it's killing me, right? But this is the one thing we've got to remember in every situation, that God is more concerned with our freedom than our normal. You see, our freedom, our maturity, our spiritual progress, that always trumps normal. That always is better than than we feel comfortable. Be assured of this. If God is leading you, he never leads you to a place by mistake, just like with Israel. There was never, there was no accidents. He never leaves you and then leads you and then leaves you somewhere. He'll never lead you to a place to destroy you. He always leads you for his glory and because he knows what is best because he loves you. He he cares for you. Don't ever let Romans 8.28 get too far from your memory where it says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That is still true for us as followers. That's how God works and leads in our life. But we have to admit, sometimes that's hard hard to accept. So how do we go about not just seeing it, but embracing this new normal. As we wrap this up, let me go back to our opening scene from Israel's first hours out of Egypt, and they're sitting there by the Red Sea, and here's what we know. They've accepted God's plan for a new normal. They've exited Egypt. That's a change. They followed God's plan perfectly to the letter, but now it seems like something went terribly wrong. They're trapped. 
They're looking at the Red Sea, and they're seeing Pharaoh's army advancing quickly behind them. And, and they, they say it would have been best for us to just stay in slavery, to stay in Egypt. What are we going to do now? Well, that's a really a great question. And, and Moses and God answer that. Verse number 13 of chapter 14, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Some great words to live by. Here's what we know. You will see God deliver. You will see God come through. But here's the thing. God had, remember, God already made that promise. Maybe they'd forgot it. If you go back to chapter 3 and verse 8, when he called Moses, remember what he said. The Lord said, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them into the land, the good and spacious land. God said, I am, I am already promised I will rescue and deliver. It's the same term, same idea. He said, I've already promised I will do this and not just take you out of Egypt. I'm actually taking the land. God had already made this promise. He'd made the promise to deliver, and, and that was the truth. It was a one-time deliverance he was, he was doing, and he had done that, and he was... But here's what something else we learned from this, that deliverance from a broken to free for us as humans, is not always a one-and-done event. See, as long as we're in this life as humans, yes, God delivers us, and through His Son, Jesus Christ, we have deliverance from our sin for salvation, but now as we're walking in this daily step, we're going to need an ongoing work in our life. God is, is sanctifying us on a daily basis, and we're going to need a new normal to grow and for Him to work in us and teach us to trust Him and to obey Him. And, and you can prom I promise you can say this, that God didn't bring us this far to leave us. He started a work in you, and he will complete it. That's God's promise. So when we talk about embracing this new normal, let's look at those phrases. Three phrases. Two of them are from Moses, one of them from God. And this is what I want to leave you with. As you're embracing this new normal, remember this. Number one, don't panic. Do not be afraid, Moses said. Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to stand to be still. It's a lot easier said than done some days because fear is our first natural response. But fear doesn't have to control us because we know who we're following. You say, I don't understand. I don't see how this is going to work. This is scary. And God is saying, stand firm. Don't run. <laughs> don't, don't stress. Don't let the stress get a hold of you. Don't worry. Stand with confidence because the Lord is going to fight for you. You just need to be still. And that last phrase literally could say, be silent. Quit arguing. Quit complaining to God. I want to go back to Egypt. Stop. God just told me to hush in this verse. That's what he says. Trust me and hush and watch what I'm going to do. Don't panic. Secondly, don't miss what God is doing. Stand firm, he says, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. You know, this has been a thought we've been repeating from the beginning of this series. God is doing a new thing. Will you perceive it? Will you see it? We've talked a lot recently about having uh, faith over fear, but those two words are just emotions unless you recognize and you, you accept the fact that by faith we realize God is up to something and it's always good. 
He hasn't shaken us up for nothing during these last few weeks. He hasn't, he hasn't stopped working in us. He's, he's working in us. He wants to work through us. He's, none of this was by accident. So asking myself the questions, what is God trying to teach me? What is God showing me? It's his plan. It's his deliverance. And it's always going to be different, even bigger than I could have ever imagined. In case you don't know the story, here's what, how the story, the next step in it, the, the, the Red Sea actually parts. The sea then becomes a highway and the children of Israel, take the, they see this obstacle become an opportunity for their further deliverance. You see, I, I don't want to be so worried about the details that I miss the deliverance, the power, this miracle of God in my life. Don't panic. Don't miss what God is doing. But listen to what God says. Last thing, don't just stand there. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. How do I embrace this new normal for me? Well, you won't do it by staying where you are. Think about this. At the point when God says this to, to Moses, the Red Sea was still a problem for them. For him to say, move on, they're still going, yeah, but there's, a, there's an issue out in front of us that how are we going to move on? And that's when he says, Moses, raise your staff and, when he, and then take your next step. And, 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 and God does this great miracle. Here's what you got to remember. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. You're going to have to move. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Follow me. That means you've got to get up and go the same direction I went. And then as he left, he said, go into all the world. He's saying that, that there is a next step for each of us. It, will it be new? Yes. Could it be risky? Perhaps. But here's what we know. This is what God has designed for us. And we know that what he has done and his plan is always the best. So take that step the rest of the story in case you don't know the sea parts the israelites walk across on dry ground and then pharaoh and his armies they come in to follow them and as soon as israel on the other side the waters come back and all of pharaoh and his armies are destroyed amazing miracle of god but in order for that to be embraced he said don't panic <laughs> don't miss what god is doing and don't just stand there you're going to have to move if you're going to see this this work of God, which takes us back to what we've been talking about from the beginning of this today is we've got to stop looking back and start moving forward. Here's what we know. God is doing a, a new thing uh, in our time right now. Calvary uh, as a church, uh, each of us as believers, will we see it? Will we perceive it? And most importantly, will we embrace it? Will we keep moving forward in what God has for us? There's a verse in the New Testament where I think Paul describes this in a beautiful picture. It's about our relationship with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, he says this, We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may, notice this, live a new life. In his love, in his grace, God sent his Son, he gave him to die for our sins. Then he raised him from the dead. And all of that was so that we could receive a gift, a gift of forgiveness of our sin, which then allows us to be free from the penalty of sin. So we have freedom from sin's penalty. And then ultimately, we're going to have eternal life. We're going to, death has no say over us. So we're free from the presence of sin ultimately when we see Jesus. But right now in this life, there's a promise that we can live a new life. We can actually be free from the power of sin that controls and enslaves us. But my question is, have you received that gift? 
Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Has there been a point in your life when as a sinner you turned and said, Jesus, I need your salvation, and he's began a new life in you? If not, why not today? Why not receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? Or maybe as one of God's followers, and you see God's doing a new thing, and you're having trouble embracing it? Let me give you three phrases. Don't panic. Don't miss what God is doing. And don't stay where you are. Let God do an incredible work in your life. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you. Thank you so much for caring enough about us that you you want us to be delivered from from the bounds of sin in our life and from the things that hold us back. And yet, it's going to require a change and a new normal, and that scares us, Father. You know that. But God, thank you for the examples you've given us. Thank you for the for the fact that you, we can trust you and we can wait on you. And God, I pray if there's one under the sound of my voice today who's not yet received forgiveness of their sins and delivery from that slavery of sin, Father, call them to yourself. Help them to realize they can call out to you and receive salvation. May this be the day that they receive the gift of eternal life. And then, Lord, encourage us as your followers to know you're doing something in us, to see it and, and embrace it and say, God, I'm going to trust you and follow you and just wait to see what you're going to do in our lives. God, I thank you for all you've done. Pray that you'll continue to work and move in us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.